I think people's BS indicators are incredibly refined this day and age. The research shows that when brands have an opinion, uh, depending on which sector they're in, they actually do better. Running a business in today's political climate becomes particularly tricky as everyone from CEOs to consumers attempts to position themselves on the right side of history. And it's a mistake to continue believing the long-held PR myth that all press is good press as brands and their leadership teams decide how, and oftentimes if, they should take a political stand. Today on Hyperlink Radio, it's a brave new world for brands. Hyperlink is hyperlink. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 7 of Hyperlink Radio, a show that explores how we connect with each other, with our technology, and the world around us. We are proudly produced by Winning Edits, which also publishes the biannual magazine Hyperlink. Find us online at winningedits.com and get the latest episodes of Hyperlink Radio by subscribing via iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit hyperlinkradio.io to learn more. Again, that's hyperlinkradio.io. I'm Jana Marin, Editorial Director at Winning Edits, and in this episode of Hyperlink Radio, we tackle the issue of brands and political engagement, specifically whether brands should take a stand on political issues or just stay out of them altogether. Super Bowl 2017 saw one of the most highly politicized array of commercials ever, with companies like Airbnb and Budweiser using the time slots to take a stand on President Trump's immigration policies. But the question remains, should they? Join me as I sit down with David Simnick, CEO of Soapbox, to tackle some of these questions and maybe arrive at some answers. Well, hi, Dave. Thanks so much for joining us on Hyperlink Radio. It's a pleasure to be here. Will you start by telling us a little bit about your company, Soapbox, and your role and how you got to where you are? Oh, of course. So Soapbox starts back in 2010. I was working for the United States Agency for International Development as a subcontractor, and I wanted to change the way that we were doing a lot of our uh, water sanitation and hygiene products, uh, using an acronym covered with WASH. And called up my best friend and I said, hey, we're going to start a soap company and every time someone buys one of our products, we're going to donate a bar of soap. And he was like, have you been watching too much Fight Club? Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, what 22-year-old man calls up his other friend and is just like, let's start it, you know, making soap. Uh, so it, it was pretty funny. Uh, and we had no idea what we were doing. And it was all about the mission. And it was all about trying to build something that gave back. Uh, and like little did we know that we were going to war with you know big giant companies called Procter and Gamble and Unilever and Colgate Palmolive and Clorox and all of these just massive huge industry giants. So we started with really humble beginnings. I, I literally I, I I'm not making this up. Like I googled how to make soap. 
uh, bought the materials and then started putting it together in my kitchen. Uh, and if you've ever seen Breaking Bad, a lot of people thought I was making something else. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. more like, so what are you making? And I was like, it's soap. And they're like, sure. Um, because you really have like good. a science lab set up in your kitchen. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, you know, straight up Walter White get up. Awesome. Apron and face mask. And yeah, oh yeah. It was, uh, it was, yeah, it was a lot. Um, so, so 2010, 2011 are farmers markets and stores and just going door to door. Uh, and then it wasn't until begging, pleading, calling, emailing that we get into our first retailer, which was Whole Foods. And then Whole Foods uh, then led to other natural channel retailers. And then we realized that we just didn't want to be in the natural channel. Uh, so then we got into... Uh, we, we moved over to the conventional channel and that's not anything wrong with the, the natural channel. It's just that unfortunately you have to work with distributors in that channel and they're very expensive. Mm. So we decided, Hey, this is, this just isn't working for us. So we got to figure out some way to, to approach this channel. Uh, and that's where after, uh, you know, our second big break was with target in 2014 and then we used that as a beachhead to get into Walgreens and Rite Aid and Meyer and Kroger and ShopRite and all of these other um, amazing retail partners. Wow, that's amazing. And congratulations on your success. Oh, we still have a long way to go. Sure, yeah. but being in those big retailers is is not is no small potatoes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's fun. Good. Uh, what I say to my friends and family is uh, when they say like, you know, congratulations, I, and I say like, hey, we still have a long way to go. The the moment I stop saying that and just be like, thank you, that's when we've made it. Like that's kind of like, you know, drop the mic, like fireworks going on in the background. Well, do you think you'll ever get to that level? Uh, no. Right. No, I don't, yeah, I just think. <laughs> there's, uh, there's always going to be something more, right? <laughs> Well, I think, you know, and that's, it kind of dovetails in what we're going to talk about today, which mm -hmm. is, you know, just being real, mm -hmm. you know, being, being a real person and, and having an authentic connection with your consumer. So with that being said, I know you got a juicy topic to talk about. I do. Yeah. The, the main topic we want to get into is brands and political engagement. So in general terms, what's your opinion on whether brands should even broach the political topics publicly. So Jana, I know that we were supposed to have like a pro and a con uh, on this call. So I almost want to have like a split personality and do both <laughs> and be like pro. Um, and actually like for your listeners at home, like they're just like, who is this like super hype soap man? Um, but I would totally be willing to be objective and just walk through both the good and the bad mm -hmm. um, and then come down on, on where soapbox is. So yeah, like, I would love okay? it. I totally love it because I, I can only imagine that as someone in your position, a CEO of a relatively well-known brand and you're starting to become what? more and well. more known. Yeah, we're, you are. <laughs> we're not well known. Don't, don't thank you for feeding my ego, but like soapbox is still like, we are literally this small little dinghy without like an engine going to war with aircraft carriers called Procter and Gamble. Literally Procter yeah. and Gamble is the largest cup, like the largest like ad spend company in terms of like yeah, dollars totally than any other company in the world. Like it's, it's crazy when you think about it, we're just like, oh yeah, we're just going to get in this, like, you know, this little niche industry and bam, no, no. 
being in your position, I was going to say, I'm sure that there are two sides to the the question of do we engage on a political issue? Because I'm sure there are benefits to it. Like, yeah, you're going to put your stake in the ground and therefore attract the people who have the same values that you have, right? But at the same time, you could also alienate a whole host of folks who don't share the same values if you're going to go public with a political opinion. You know, so pro. Pro is, I think people, especially smaller brands, they're so unknown that you're going to win more customers uh, by actually speaking up for an issue than turn them away. Con. It all depends on which the actual niche you're in, right? So if you're selling truck parts, <laughs> you probably shouldn't have certain like viewpoints, right? But but I think, you know, above above all that, and I know this is an easy position to take given some CEO's responsibility to all their employees and their shareholders. Uh, honestly, like I think people's BS indicators are incredibly refined this day and age and i think that they can see through that and i think people not i think the research shows that when brands have an opinion uh depending on which sector they're in they actually do better Mm. like you and i think it's it's there's a certain level of authenticity and not like to give my own plug here but like i gave uh a tedx talk not like ted not in like you know the official ted like TED has this other program where like they have like TEDx's where uh, different colleges or communities organize like their own TED talk. So I was, I was honored and humbled to be a part of this TEDx talk where I talked about brands need authenticity in order to be leaders in their field. And I believe that people can read through that and people have really good indicators in terms of when brands are being true to their promise and true to what they market themselves at and when they're off that consumers notice and they and and there's a discord and a disconnect with what the proposition is to the consumer and you think that applies even if consumers disagree with the opinion or the values that you're that you're aligning with i, I think here's a great example right so chick-fil-a came out and, and had some pretty uh, some of the family members of the Chick-fil-A family uh, had some pretty staunch opinions towards the LBGT community. Mm-hmm. And yet, like people still in troves are going to buy their chicken sandwiches. And I think it's because there's a certain level of when a company makes an amazing product, uh, smart consumers, not all consumers, realize that it, they the company is not running for elected office. The company is providing a product and a service now you know to and i'll consistently flip-flop back and forth on this because i can see multiple angles of this argument and then i'll come down to what soapbox believes at the very end but like a counter statement to that is that uh when you offend your consumer base so much uh that they then feel that you've either sold out or uh, that by purchasing your brand, they're supporting something that they don't believe in. Uh, that I mean, those are that you're just giving money to your competitors. So there is there is definitely an argument to be made, uh, like with 
Um, I was going to use the uh, the Uber example from earlier this year after Trump's immigration ban and they um, Uber turned off their surge pricing for JFK airport during the taxi strike mm-hmm. and lost something like 200,000 customers as a result. I mean, but what do you think they also gained on that? Like how many, how many people do you think actually were like, you know what, I'm going to continue driving Uber instead of Lyft because they took a stand on this? That's a really great question. I, I, I don't know because I'm not a person who continues to use Uber. <laughs> You're right. But that's, that's both of us. But it's, let's dive into that, right? So, yeah. So why have we both decided to start using Lyft? If you want to go first or I can go first. Yeah, I'll share. Um, I want to support brands that are open and embracing of all types of people. And that's the vibe that I get from Lyft. And I also, um, I also just feel like the folks who drive for Lyft are more like my people. They're generally friendlier. I generally have had a better experience in a Lyft driver's car versus an Uber driver's car. And I think it comes from the way that Lyft as a brand and as a company treats their drivers versus the way Uber treats their drivers. It's trickling down, right? It, I mean, I so I won't I won't you know provide both sides of the perspective on this. I'll just go straight out and, and speak from the heart. And this isn't a soapbox position. This is just a Dave Simnick opinion. And that is, I love Lyft. I want Lyft to win. Yeah, and I, and, and I want Lyft to win because I really. I I like companies that are full of good people Mm -hmm. and I want the good guy to win because I would like to believe that I'm a good guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think, I think honestly, like this is one of the situations where uh, I travel a lot for soapbox and I'm in other countries and Lyft is just not available Mm -hmm. and I'll use Uber and that's fine. Mm -hmm. Uber has a great service, Yeah, but I, but I don't know how much, of what you just said of like Lyft drivers being nicer or Lyft drivers being, uh, you know, friendlier or whatever it might be like is actually true or is it my perception that I want to believe that they're nicer and they're friendlier because of, you know, what I know happened with an Uber and my friends who work with Uber and, and so on and so forth who have said, you know, what the culture is at Uber and then my friends who work for Lyft and say the culture is at Lyft. I think it's all, I think it's all brain building and I think mm-hmm. it's also myth. Right. And one of the things that I don't know if this is true or not. One of my friends told me this, that after uh, after all this happened with Uber uh, and, the you know, the cases of uh, harassment and so on and so forth, that when Lyft started gaining market share and, you know, all the agencies, uh, the data agencies and the investment banking agencies that track this type of information started saying like, hey, Lyft is actually gaining market share from Uber. Uh, the Lyft founders sent out a letter company-wide saying like, don't gloat. Mm. Like, don't don't get cocky. Like, don't, like, this is something that we should not be happy that harassment has happened. But we should continue to reinforce the values of who we are, right? right. Now, now, think about this. Whether that, is whether that happened or not, like that is myth building a part of that brand. And I think that there are certain things that a brand can do and that the, the leadership of that brand uh, can say and, and publicly state 
that helps reinforce the connection to their consumers. And, and, and this will go back to, you know, like whether, whether it's a good thing for brands to speak about politics or whether it's a, a, a bad thing and brands should be sterile. I don't think you can have – this is what I genuinely believe. I don't think that you can have a connection with the consumer without actually stating what you really believe, period. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. So continuing the Lyft Uber conversation, another piece of that was connected to something you just said about how brands can do certain things to connect with their consumers and to you know, illustrate their values, which is which is what we're getting at here. And maybe this is is part of the the myth building that you're talking about too, with the delete Uber hashtag that went viral after what happened with Uber at the JFK airport. Lyft seemed to capitalize on that trending hashtag and made a very big public donation to ACLU. So now we have something that could be perceived as taking advantage of a situation, taking advantage of their, you know, the competition sort of negative or, or bad break, if you want to look at it that way. It, I don't know. Is that an inappropriate way of taking advantage of a situation? I think, I think that capitalism allows for consumers just like a democracy to vote with their dollar and we should enable and empower consumers to know the politics and the beliefs of the companies that they support and i think that you as a as a company leader as an entrepreneur or as a ceo of a of a gigantic corporation like there are varying degrees of difficulty at each stages uh, and like I said earlier, like being a, being an entrepreneur of a much smaller brand, like you're just trying to get noticed so you can be a little more aggressive in your politics because you, you do want to find those people who are screaming either, either in protest or, 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 you know, joining in arms. So I think a great example is, uh, how like Howard Schultz at Starbucks uses his politics and this apparatus of you know tens of thousands of Starbucks stores across the world uh, to push forward an agenda that um, even if certain people with certain political beliefs do not agree with, uh, it makes people feel like Starbucks is a good company. Uh, and I think what's so interesting about that is in a field like coffee, where it seems like it is a race for who has the most authenticity and who's got the best grinds and who's got the best, you know, ethical sourcing from bean to cup. Like it is amazing that Howard and the Starbucks team has yet still like maintained this sense of authenticity. And I would argue that a lot of that comes from Howard saying like, Hey, we're going to focus on jobs initiatives and, even when he did the whole, you know, hashtag race forward and he was like, let's encourage a race conversation in America by talking to your barista and it didn't work out well. I think for a lot of people, it still was just like, whoa, like this CEO genuinely cares about trying to uh, use this amazing platform of so many locations and so many employees, a part of the Starbucks family to talk about social issues. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Yeah. And I think there could be people who are like, you know what? I don't want to talk about race. I don't think this is appropriate. I'm going to take my business to Dunkin' Donuts or I'm going to take my business to, uh, you know, Blue Bottle or Phil's or Pete's or whatever. Right. Like, but it is, I, I genuinely believe that that part of the reason why Starbucks has been able to remain quote unquote cool in some of consumers eyes is because they actually have taken stances on things that matter. Now, back to your original question, is it right for Lyft to like sponsor and get behind, uh, you know, delete Twitter or ban, I'm sorry, uh, delete Uber or, you know, remove or like that. I, I think it comes down to, and I don't know if Lyft ever really was the, was the, what were the people that, that pushed that. I think Lyft basically welcomed all the consumers with open arms. Mm-hmm. I just didn't see that in the news. I didn't see Lyft being the type of company that would overtly go after. I, they are subtly saying it in their ads where they say, you know, it matters how you get there. Like they're, they're, they're absolutely yep. stating, yep. but I don't think they're running an attack campaign. I think it's more of uh, a bringing a conversation in billboards that I see in airports and uh, and, you know, in signage, you know, everywhere that I, I see that statement is basically reminding consumers that there are two very different company cultures out there. And which one do you want to support with your dollars? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Has Soapbox ever taken a political stand in the past? Yes. Uh, so we took a stand um, with basically what Trump did with immigration ban. Okay. Uh, and we and a bunch of other founders in the DC area basically wrote a letter, uh, saying this is, this is not what we stand for. Like this is the, the, uh, the change makers and the innovators in the district right in your backyard, you know, Mr. President do not agree with this. Um, and we believe, and, and, and this reflects my politics. I think when you, even when you look at the data, right, like half of new companies in America started by immigrants. Like the whole promise of America, in my opinion, is uh, it, we're, we're the light on the hill. Is that the reason I believe we're so innovative is because people still believe in the American dream. And immigrants are a gigantic part of that. And I think that it, I think it is, I think it's wrong that so many generations have forgotten that a generation ago, two ago, three ago, you know, their their grandparents and grandmothers and great grandparents and great grandmothers were going through the same discrimination, mm-hmm. and I I just I think it's really wrong that we have forgotten our history because we're all immigrants to this nation or most of us are, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's just it's it's right to remember that and it's right to uh, to understand that you know with immigration comes challenges and that we need to ensure that. Uh, our citizens are safe and that they're secure, but we also need to ensure that uh, that we that that we also benefit greatly from everything that immigration brings to to our shores. And I and and if I were to say, if you were to step back, and I objectively, uh, I love you know keeping up with the news, and I love just being you know in the District of Columbia, and then also when I went for school for and. I thought I was going to go into public policy, and, and you know, here I am, a traveling soap salesman. <laughs> so a little bit, a little bit different than what I thought. Um, so, like, you know, what it really comes down to, I think, for me, is is uh, soapbox 
you know, even, even, even the phrase, right, is a platform for us to do good. Uh, so we took a stand on immigration, uh, but I think we also take a stand on a lot of things. We, we take a stand for capitalism can be used as a force for good because, in my opinion, capitalism already is an, an amazing force for good. It, if you look at various different economic systems that humanity has, has uh, experimented with or tried, capitalism has brought more people out of poverty than any of them. And I know that, you know, that in itself is a contentious statement. Uh, and I wish that there was someone else, you know, on, on the show besides just you and I that could come after me on that one. But I genuinely believe that. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. I am mm-hmm. a capitalist. I just believe that, that capitalism, you can take something as powerful as a for-profit company and you can strap a social mission like donating a bar of soap for everyone sold at the core of it and you can do a lot of good. And you can do a lot of good. And we are doing a lot of good just by what we sell in marketplace. We sell an amazing product and affordable prices. We sell something that is EDTA free, paraben free, phylate free. We sell something that is petrochemical free and silicone free. We sell a, a naturally derived, thoughtfully selected product across a whole product range at really affordable prices. And we do that because not only do we want to offer an amazing product to our consumer, but we also want to make sure that everyone has the chance to be a philanthropist. One of my early investors said, Dave, why don't you just make a great company and then, you know, one day have an exit and then have the ability to donate to a charity or continue to donate that charity. And I was like, you're missing the point of Soapbox. Soapbox is not about how I one day can make a difference. It's about how do we enable the consumer at Target, at Walgreens, at Rite Aid, at uh, ShopRite, at Stop and Shop, at Safeway Albertsons, AF, Kroger Banners, like wherever, wherever we're sold, right? How do we enable them to be a philanthropist? How do we enable them to make that change? And then the person who gets the, you know, the best of this deal is the person in any of the countries we're working with, or the homeless shelter that gets that bar of soap. Mm-hmm. Like that, 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 you know, like that is why we're doing this. And I think that in itself is a political statement because what we're challenging the status quo on a couple things. And I think it's also making certain, you know, people, it might make certain people uncomfortable. And I know it's not that much of a controversial statement because we're trying to do good through a for-profit model, but it is in itself a political statement. So talk a little bit about creating the business model for Soapbox because there's a lot of, you know, the brands that are doing this give back model are very popular these days. So we've got the Toms and the Warby Parkers of the world. Causeumption instead of consumption, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in that model, I, I'm just curious as, as somebody who isn't in, in business, in a business like yours, a retail product business, how do you still make money? Right? Like, how do you even sit down and come up with an idea where, yeah, it, you're, you're in the consumer, you're in the capitalist business model. That's our economy, but you're still flipping it on its head because capitalism is mostly about making money. It's not as much about the give back model that you guys are using. So just talk a little bit about that. How do you, how do you set yourselves up so that you can still be a profitable company? Yeah. So uh, I think that the whole conversation of this show is about, is it right for for for-profit company, you know, leaders to have to to talk openly about their politics for brands to have a stance on politics right and i think that brands that don't brands that don't have a purpose a cause a sense of authenticity are going to lose their consumers 
it is a you know our it's kind of like I, I've said this in, in front of a couple different uh, college classrooms. Uh, I don't believe that everyone should be one for one. I, I I actually think it's a really bad idea, right? For example, if Ferrari was like, you know what? For every Ferrari we sell, we're going to donate a Ferrari to a kid. You'd be like, what? You're like, no, terrible idea. Like these. What? No. Uh, also, um, not very sustainable. <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. But wouldn't it be amazing to be that kid? It was just like, oh my god. Uh, so so I think I think what it really like in my opinion what the, what it boils down to is like more and more brands are stating their point of view and their worldview, and that is right and good because consumers expect quality. Right, like let's like rewind this back to uh, a century ago. Brands used to communicate their quality because there was a difference in quality, right? Mm -hmm. And now, pretty much, brands are all pretty good. And this is we're gross generalization, right? Like, yes, there's, you know, what is the what is the four, five, six P's of your product, depending on how many P's you want to throw in the you know the, the traditional marketing. Uh, positioning of your product but like it, it does come down to like let's take our category a lot of shampoo shampoos out there are great right and a lot of body washes out there are great a lot of liquid hand soaps out there are great uh, they can look different they can be at different prices uh, but soapbox is different because we have all those things i believe we have better branding and i believe we have a much better product but at the end of the day no other product in our planogram is giving back Right, they might have a quarterly promotion that gives back to some foundation, but at the essence, at the core, they didn't start with mission first, and we did. And I and and we have consumers write us in on a daily basis that say, "Look, I love your brand because it stands for something. You you guys are making a statement. And I feel like I'm joining a mission when I buy your product." So going back to like causism, I think that it all comes down to authenticity. Uh, brands that, that have a mission that is close to what the product or service is that makes sense to the consumer. And most importantly is like authentic that can win in the marketplace, a cause for cause sake slapped on bolted onto a brand in my opinion, doesn't make sense. And if for any entrepreneurs out there, uh, if you are thinking about having a cause and you already own a company, or thinking about starting a company, the closer that the mission can get to reinforcing the quality of the product, the better. Here's a great example. Uh, there's a clothing company called Everlane. Everlane is, mm-hmm. is a phenomenal company because uh, they, were, they have radical transparency in the supply chain. They show uh, basically from uh, seed all the way to you know garment. Uh, where, how it's harvested, where it's sown, how it's shipped. Uh, and what this allows is it allows for the consumer to know that certain things like, uh, like sweatshop labor and, or the quality of the fabrics and the quality of the seeds, like that, all of that can be traced. And what's amazing about that is it shows the consumer that, Hey, when I'm buying, actually did not contribute to any societal ills in other countries or even in my own that I want my dollars inadvertently supporting. 
And but but it also reinforces this idea that like your product is amazing. Like it has gone through all of these different checkpoints of quality and ensuring that it is done the right way. Right. So not only do they have this mission of radical transparency, but it's also reinforcing that the product you're buying is awesome and is and is really well made. So uh the question that you asked at the very beginning is like how can a for profit company afford to do all this? Yeah. For Soapbox, we also believe in that radical transparency. So how we afford to do it is we don't ship soap from the United States when we work abroad. Uh, this is a really important uh, factor because other one companies have gotten a lot of criticism because let's say that, uh, Jana, you're a soap maker in northern India. The last thing you want is me popping out of a shipping container with like 60,000 bars of soap. Why? I just flooded your market. I just absolutely like – just took you out of a job for a couple months. And the reason being is, you know, I just came with a bunch of free product and you used to sell with that before. So like, you know, no one has the incentive to buy from you anymore. More importantly, not only just like putting you at risk or your family at risk that you support, but now I've also just taught the whole community that, Hey, wait till some, you know, tall, awkward white guy shows up and gives you product for free. Like, None of this really makes sense, right? We're, we're focused on solving a short-term problem, but we're creating an aid-dependency model that has long-term ramifications. So the way that we do this differently is we actually work with the NGOs on the ground. We vet, make sure they are who they say they are, and then we fund them to buy from the local maker, right? This means lower eco-footprint because we're not shipping from the United States. It's a lot more sustainable. It's a lot more empowerment-driven because we're actually like getting that local market. We're either buying from the local marketplace or we're hiring people to actually make the soap, or we're actually funding the local soap maker. Like our model is flexible because no one community is the same. So how that how that other bar of soap is actually made is all dependent on what community we're working in. Now to go to the next question, it's a heck of a lot cheaper to make a bar of soap in the countries that we work in around the world, and that allows us to have the margins we need in order to be a for profit company. So here's another question, um, because you are working with um, some of these third world country communities, um, similar to uh, some of these other brands that we've mentioned, like Tom's, Warby Parker. Um, Tom's, I know, has been criticized for using poverty as a marketing ploy. So what are your thoughts on that? Is is there a line for brands to, uh, specifically socially oriented brands to use this co- the cause as part of their marketing. Uh, so first off, I love this interview. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> no, I, I love I love this interview, and I love. So usually, like, so usually, I'm I'm uh, when I do these type of interviews, or I go on like a TV show, or I'm like speaking in, in front of a college campus. Like, I get like one or two like tougher questions, uh, but I, I I love these questions. I love when people poke at us and say, you know, like, show me. Uh, so on the back of each one of our products, we have something called the hope code. You can put that unique number into our website or on your smartphone or whatever, and you can see exactly where that other one for one went. So we encourage that transparency. We want people to say, you say you're doing this, show me. Uh, yeah, uh, what I think you're talking about, and I, I don't want to be too bombastic, but here we go, is poverty porn. Yeah. Like it's, and it's a thing. It's totally, I mean, everyone, uh, and I'm forgetting his name right now. 
Um, Dane Cook, uh, however you feel about it as a comedian, he had the whole skit of like the late night charity TV infomercials of where they're like, hey, you know, this kid is starving and like he's in a mud puddle and you should donate like five cents a month in order to get this. You know what I mean? Like we've all seen those commercials and we feel awful. Right. Uh, but we dive for the remote because we don't want to live in that guilt. Like, and I think, I think it's really important that brands who have a mission do not, do not put the mission, especially if it's like a one for one or it has some type of charitable contribution. Don't put that first. It is the product. Mm. You are competing in the marketplace against other products or services. It has to be a stellar product or service. I would argue that it actually has to be even better because the messaging is now muddled, right? You have an amazing product and you give back. Okay. Because you're saying two things, you have to say the first thing that matters more louder. And the actual product has to be that much better because it has to carry so much more because you actually have two messages. That's, that's the craziest thing that we realized after so many times of figuratively, thankfully, getting smacked in the face. Like Soapbox used to shout the mission really loud. And people would be like, that's really awesome and good for you. But that's not the reason I'm at this aisle in Target, as you said earlier, to buy a shampoo. Like, give me a shampoo that solves the problem that I have right now. Right. I have dry hair. I want to get moisturized because it's the winter season. How are you going to offer nourishment to my split ends? Like, that, that is it. Like, so if you, have, as a brand with a mission are shouting when she's looking for a moisturizing shampoo and you're like, we give back. You, she's not going to buy you anyways. So what I would say is that like Tom's took off because they definitely weren't industry leader in this one-for-one concept. It was fashion. So people just like you see people put a I donated blood sticker on or I voted sticker on. It is a sticker of I am a good person and or I did my duty, right? People wore Tom's because they want they felt great. They were great shoes, and it also was a little sticker on the back of your heel that said, I'm a decent person. So the problem with soapbox is that last time I checked, people aren't wearing their body wash around their neck. So it is a very personal decision, right? Like liquid hand soap might be a little different because you might put it in your guest bathroom. You might put it on your kitchen. Like People will be like, ooh, like what's this? But what matters more, and we found this out the hard way because – our previous branding was not good. It just was not good. Our previous branding looked more like automotive cleaner than a great shampoo. And we had to learn the hard way because our previous branding was a lot more focused on shouting the social mission and not the quality of our product. We make a great product. We should not be afraid to show it off. So when we actually went through this whole rebranding effort, we did a ton of focus groups and we did a ton of consumer surveys and exactly what you just said at the beginning of this of like there is too much cause, uh, you're profiting off poverty, uh, is what we heard in our focus groups. Mm. It, one of the things that, that I will never forget is uh, one of our participants, uh, she said, when you're shouting it, it makes me believe in it less. I don't think that you're doing it for the right reasons. So that made us think about this and said, okay – and, and, and even if you look at any of our like reviews on Amazon or, or reviews on, 
uh, on Facebook or you look at our reviews on Target.com or Walmart.com or Walgreens or any of these any of these places, you'll see this hierarchy. Uh, I have really curly and kinky hair. It's been hard for me to find a co-wash that really works for uh, you know my 4B type of hair. I found Soapbox at uh, at Meyer. And I've fallen in love. I'm never using another conditioner ever again. I also love the fact that they have clean ingredients and that it's color safe because it's sulfate free. Oh, and by the way, I absolutely love that they have a mission and it makes me feel good about how many of these bottles I need to buy and that each one is supporting someone around the world. Mm. It's the last thing. It's the last thing they mention. Ta-da! It's it's the it's the it's the cherry on top. But I think yeah. that cherry on top makes all the difference. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think we actually can show that it makes all the difference. Our loyalty rates compared to other competitors are incredibly high, and that that is where I'm so passionate about brands taking a stance. Because mm-hmm. I would argue that the staying power of Starbucks uh, has been that they actually have been a little risque and taken some stances and some of them have worked out and some of them haven't. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this because we've been primarily talking about brands as an entity and for you, Dave, as the CEO of Soapbox, how do you deal with this, the question of, do you ever take a stand personally and try to separate yourself and your personal stands from the stands that Soapbox as a brand makes. You know, that's a really that's a really interesting question. Uh, I can't think of a time where the values of Soapbox have been in conflict with the values that I have. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that's just because look, we're a small brand. We're, we're quickly growing, but we're still a small brand. So uh, each member of our team. Uh, and their character and their beliefs are consistently going into the fabric of of this company and this organization. So, what if? What I, I wonder if maybe there would be an instance where you are the one feeling like I want to take a stand on an issue, but you'd make a decision that maybe that's not the best thing for Soapbox. Well, I think I think there is. I think any business leader out there has to have a certain level of moderation. Um, and, and I definitely think that I might shout louder uh, on my own personal social media or the platform that uh, I'm humbled to be elevated to. Uh, you know, every, every time I go and speak, it's uh, at a college or at a, a convention or a corporation asked for me to come out and, and talk about, you know, what Soapbox has done or the hard lessons we've learned or where we're going. It's in, one, incredibly humbling. Uh, but then the second part is uh, I talk just like this and I say, and I, and I make very clear that I'm just like, Hey, that these are things that Soapbox believes. And, and these are things that I personally believe um, our, uh, our PR firm and uh, my speaking agency sometimes are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, settle down there, Gunner. Um, But what I would say is that uh, if there were a situation where it didn't make sense for Soapbox to take such a stance and I really believed in it deeply, um, then I would 
then I wouldn't make it known. I would be like, hey, you know, Soapbox does not necessarily support these type of things, but I do. And I think that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. And do you ever feel that you're getting more public scrutiny because of your position and for CEO for CEOs of other brands, should they be held to a higher public standard because of their position? I, I would say that there is something to be said for civility. Uh, and I would say that it all depends on, on how one's viewpoints are conveyed and then also what those viewpoints are right so like if the ceo of fortune 500 company x came out and said something outlandish um that was you know incredibly offensive and uh was just you know wildly uh discriminatory towards a, a specific um you know group of individuals uh, then the you know the public the public market would probably beat her or him up and there's a certain thing to be said of like yeah okay rightfully so mm-hmm. like if you if you believe that and the marketplace votes with their dollars then either wall street and or consumers will be like what is that person like that's crazy so i think that i think there's something to be said for moderation uh i think that I think that there's something to be said for brands uh, not necessarily not necessarily following what their consumers believe, but taking some leadership in terms of this is what this brand believes uh, and this is why we believe it. And you can be a part of consuming in this brand and following this brand and reinforcing this brand's viewpoint or not. And I think that's also one of the beauties of, of, you know, capitalism is that in a marketplace, there should be multiple different providers should, right? Should multiple different providers that offer you a variety of different goods and services and you can pick and choose. Now, do I think it's a good idea to only be picking and choosing between companies of different politics? No, I think that there's actually a good thing, uh, I think there's a good thing when societies have places where politics are not uh, center place. Like there's a time and place, you know, like there's a time and place for politics. There's a time and place to meet your neighbor and discuss, you know, this great product or service or, you know, this great burger that you're flipping on, you know, the the grill together. Like there's a, or a beer that you guys are enjoying together that, you know, regardless of what that, that brand has talked about, like you guys can come together over enjoyment of that product or service. So I, what I would say is that like, I think that, I think that civility is, especially because like Thanksgiving is just a couple of days, right? Like we got to all go with our in-laws, but I, I believe that civility is important. And I think it depends on going back to answer your original question. I, can, I think it all comes down to uh, what it is that you say how you say it and the time place manner uh, of, of, you know, releasing those views. Very well said. Final question for you, Dave, just talk about what is on the horizon for soapbox and 
maybe even a little bit of where do you see the future for the social goodness brands like like yours? What is next for Soapbox? We have some really big strategic partnerships uh, being announced over the next couple weeks and months. Um, one of them in particular uh, has taken four years uh, to come to fruition. I cannot tell your listeners about it right now, but um, it is 11-21-2017, uh, basically next week. Uh, you can uh, fast forward if you're listening to this uh, anytime after this, uh, basically like the end of this month, early uh, early next month in December, we're going to be able to announce it. It's taken four years for this to happen. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, it's a college tuition. It's totally <laughs> – like, it took me uh, less time to graduate uh, than it's taken for this deal to, to happen. But what's really cool is um, it is it – is, it's going to have a massive impact with our mission. We're going to be able to do so much good in local homeless shelters and food pantries all throughout the United States. We're going to be able to do so much good in the 65 countries that we operate in through a variety of just amazing NGO partners. And like I am using, I'm hype now, like <laughs> you should just see me uh, at the actual partnership launch. That's going to happen late next, late uh, next week. Um, so some really big partnerships. Uh, we just, release this new branding uh we make amazing products we always have uh they just have been in um some pretty bad looking bottles and and boxes and we're just really excited to show off um this butterfly that basically popped out of a cocoon like we we are finally really proud of how we look uh and all of the reception that we've gotten um we were at a trade show this past weekend some very high-end retailers uh, came up to us and they were like, we love your branding. We'd really want to work with you. You know, we've heard about you guys in the show. Like we love your mission. And they're like, you know, how can we work together? And I'm like, well, first off our price points are like, you know, three ninety nine and five ninety nine. And they're like, Oh, we, we could never sell that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like that's, but, but you know, that in itself is almost a stance that we've taken, right? Mm-hmm. Like we want to be affordable. We want to, as I was saying earlier, allow more people to be philanthropists. We, we want to have that. So it was incredibly, it was a huge honor to be asked by these, these very nice department stores and these very nice specialty stores. But as of now, our product range just doesn't fit within their categories because we just don't sell at that higher price point. So sounds like it might be time. Sounds like it might be time for a luxury line. I know, right? <laughs> I know. Uh, but even that is a whole other conversation, uh, which you know about how we uh, how we do that with our branding and the right. that our current line. But anyways, so all that to be said, uh, very very excited about these strategic partners partnerships. Very excited to be expanding into new products and new product categories because of how well the new products are doing in market, um, and. You know, to, to tie this all over, like, look, I I would love for Soapbox to continue to build into a household name brand because there are business leaders that I admire uh, that use their platform uh, to build civility and to take stands uh, to move society uh, towards a um, to- towards a better place, in my opinion. And I don't think that means you got to talk out on every issue. I actually encourage business leaders not to. Uh, but I do believe that there are certain red lines, and I believe that it's important when business leaders see those red lines cross that they use their platform to stand up and say, you know what? You know, we have a certain belief, and, and we believe this is wrong. 
Last thing, I know we got to wrap. Um, Budweiser ran this commercial uh, during the 2017 Super Bowl, and it was it's my all it's it's like my all time favorite commercial uh, because they tell the story of uh, like Adolphus Bush basically coming over uh, from Germany uh, and making his way from Ellis Island down to St. Louis. Um, and, it, and it basically, you know, they, they released this when there was such a heated immigrate or heated conversation about the current administration's, uh, immigration ban. Um, and the message, although subtle was trying to say, look at what happens. Uh, and, and, and we are founded from immigrants. Like if you like Budweiser, then you are participating in what an immigrant created and it was a beautiful story. It was really well done. It didn't come out and like slap people in the face and say, if you're not with us, then you're against us. It just generally reminded people and saying like, we are, we are a great product that was made by an immigrant. So I think, I think there is something to be said for civility, but I do encourage brands to, to take a stand. And I think that there is a thoughtful way that it can be done. I love it. I totally agree. And thank you so much, Dave, for coming on the show today and sharing your thoughts on the topic. Um, I think it's it's really worthwhile conversation and um, definitely worth continuing on even beyond this, this podcast episode. So thank you so much. Well, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much, Shana. If you've been listening to Hyperlink Radio this season, you know that here at Winning Edits, we are proud proponents of the Oxford comma, and we've been ending each episode with an example of how the comma adds significant clarity and often avoids misunderstanding. So here to help me today with the example is Winning Edits Managing Editor, Karen Beatty. Hi, Karen. Hi, Jana. All right, so I'm going to read a sentence incorrectly with out the comma, and then we'll laugh about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Rachel Ray finds inspiration in cooking her family and her dog. <laughs> <laughs> that is, it's such a funny picture because she, she's such a cute little, you know, cook in her kitchen. And so I'm, I'm imagining her, you know, cooking her loved ones, which is not a good, not a good thing to think about. No, we definitely don't want to... <laughs> Imagine Rachel Ray being a cannibal. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so with the comma, it would read, Karen? Sure. Rachel Ray finds inspiration in cooking her family and her dog. Yes, three individual specific things that are different from each other. <laughs> Thanks for listening to season one of Hyperlink Radio. We're going to take a break for the holidays, but we'll be back in February for season two when we cover topics like climate change, voting systems, whistleblowers, brands that give back, and more. In the meantime, to find out more about Hyperlink Radio, visit hyperlinkradio.io, where you can find the show notes, bonus content, links, and other episodes from season one. Stay connected to Hyperlink Radio by subscribing via iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. One more time, that's hyperlinkradio.io. Thanks again for listening and stay connected.